The following podcast is sponsored by Structure Tech. But I need to pick a building science nerd's brain for a while. Because if I have to decide at the cabin what the heck to do with insulation in the attic. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else that's rattling around in our head. How's it going, Ruben? Tess, life good? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Got the rotted guards on my deck being replaced right now. Very I good. decided this is just a project that I did not have time for, and I'm hiring it out. So Wow. I, uh, is that a first for you, hiring out something that you could do? I don't hire out a lot. I do just about everything myself, Tess, but yeah. I, I just decided I'm, I'm not going to spend my time this summer doing it. It's just too much. It's going to be a you. couple days of work. Summer's and, almost uh, over anyway. Exactly. You know, got to try to spend that time with the kids. If I'm not working, not working on the house, I'll uh, I'll share some photos when it's done. Did you go with glass or just the wood? Neither. Went with aluminum. It's kind of a um, middle of the road type of thing. I don't want wood because I hate maintenance on a deck. Hate, hate, hate maintenance. And wood requires maintenance. I looked into the cable rail system and it was hideously expensive. I don't know if prices mm. have gone up on that stuff too, or or if it's always been expensive. I don't know. But I mean, it was, was ridiculous to do cable rail and glass was right up there too. And and my what I've heard people say about glass is that it just it's always dirty. Uh-huh. You, you gotta clean it and it's it does not give you what you're looking for. So didn't want to do the glass either. Just curious, what was the price range, you know, like from wood to cable? I didn't even price out cable because I mean wood because I don't care for the aluminum rail system. And this is where it's it's aluminum balusters, aluminum posts, top and bottom rails. Everything is aluminum. Total cost was somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000. Oh my god! You know, I, I certainly could have gotten something fancy. I didn't get any, any type of fancy schmancy rails. It's just, mm. you know, your basic with a little curve in the spindles or something or balusters. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that was about 5,000. If I had gone with a cable rail system, it would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 <gasps> for materials. You're kidding. It's insane. It's I kid you not, Tess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. And not only that, but for my deck, there's there's a number of areas where it doesn't have right angles. It's like it goes off to a 45 degree angle. It comes out and then another 45 straight, another 45 in. There's a bunch of 45s. And on those cable rails, they don't make posts that accept a 45 it'd be a matter of putting two posts right next to each other. And it looks hideous. I saw pictures of it and I just went, even if it was affordable, I wouldn't do this. Now, you know, maybe maybe there is a system out there where they do it and I don't know about it, but I couldn't find it. And my contractor said they don't exist. So it, it wouldn't have looked good and it was expensive. And, and glass was in the same neighborhood. 
I had no idea it was that expensive. That's crazy. Me neither. <laughs> I always think, yeah, like a new deck would be, you know, like anywhere from like 10 to 20 grand typically like on a house. I mean, you don't think about the guardrail being that price. Cards are expensive. And Tessa, I'm, I'm giving you the price for materials. I'm not giving you the installed cost. Oh my gosh. This is materials alone. 2021 is a different world in construction. It and sure I'm is. learning this firsthand and I'm not complaining. It was just shocking on some of the some of the cost of some of the things. And that's really what I wanted to talk about today. I, I love the guardrail conversation because I got quoted a, a really pretty aggressive price as well. And we can get into that if you care to later. But I need to pick a building science nerd's brain for a while. Because I have to decide at the cabin what the heck to do with insulation in the attic. And let me set this up for anybody who doesn't care. You, you can go find something else to do. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stealing Tessa for the next 25 minutes. All right, I'm going to go get some lunch. I'm just going to meet myself. <laughs> so here's what we got going on. Everybody knows if you've listened to this podcast, you know, my wife and I are building this cabin way up north. It's going to be great. We're shells up, roofs on, waiting for siding and windows to get in. But we're deciding what to do for the ceiling. And we want it to be wood. And that means it's either going to be tongue and groove of some nature or maybe beaded plywood or something else that looks like my wife wants it to look. And the material I like the most is like three inch wide boards that you have to nail up through you know, twice through each of these boards, it is tongue and groove, but you still want to throw at least a couple nails in it. So typically you would put poly up and then just put your sheetrock up or drywall and put your insulation in and you have, you'd finish your drywall and you have this nice flat ceiling, or maybe you like texture on it, whatever. But because we're doing wood, it's, it's going to be a veneer over the top of it. So Tessa, here's my question. If I use spray foam, I know I'm going to get the perfect seal. We'll have no air leaking no matter what. And I could I could nail 7 billion nails through this beadboard and nobody would care because I would still have a good seal. But if I use poly as my vapor barrier and I put up drywall and then I go over the drywall with this thin veneer and shoot all these nails, am I compromising the seal, the tightness of this building? And do I have to be concerned about moisture now potentially moving from the conditioned area up into my attic? That's a complicated question. How do I want to answer that? I'd say there's a lot of variables. And depending on how it's installed, penetrations you have, how many you have, where they're located, the type of attic design, you know where I'm going with this. It depends, Bill. Can I can I start giving you some details? Yes, please give me more details. The more details, the better. But I was just gonna say, you know, you mentioned one thing about if you do closed cell spray foam on the attic lid, then you know it, it it'll be perfect. You won't have to worry about any air leaks or any moisture getting into the attic. And in a perfect world, that's true. But in reality. It's spray foam is only as good as its applicator, whoever <laughs> installs it. And I've seen spray foam installed imperfectly where, you know, if you've got trusses and they're spraying around the truss and, and you've got penetrations coming through and they're spraying around that, they, they can miss things and you can still be left with gaps in the spray foam or penetration areas that can still lead to 
issues with moisture in an attic and air leakage. So in that situation, just to make sure it is perfect, what I think I heard you just say is the applicator has to spray over the trusses. So it's a continuous vapor barrier, or is it good enough to just fill in the gaps in between the trusses? Yeah, I I guess, you know, again, (laughs) I hate to say this, you're going to have to, this isn't going to be annoying, but it depends. A lot of times, if you can hit that truss kind of from different angles, if you can picture kind of like a wagon wheel, how all the spokes come into the center, think of a truss being like that. And sometimes you can even get air leakage in between those spokes in the truss framing itself. And so, you know, to spray foam in between every little section of that truss is really labor intensive and it doesn't always happen. And depending on the climate zone you're in and the amount of air leakage you have, humidity loads in the house, the size of the attic space, the volume of air in the attic, it can all, I mean, that may be a problem or it may not be with all those variables. And so one thing that, you know, a a good insulation company could do to make sure that they don't have any of these misses once they've applied the foam is to do a, like a blower door test where they depressurize the house and you need some sort of temperature difference between inside and outside when you do this test. So let's just say it's, it's cold outside and warm in the house. You do this, this depressurization of the house. And what you do is you pull in all the air from the outside, from the attic into the house. And you can use an infrared camera to then scan the ceiling from the inside of the house to look for this, these cold spots of where the air is being pulled in through these cracks and these gaps. And sometimes it's pretty tricky because air will follow a pathway, you know, and so you can see cold spots, but it might, you, you might, might have to actually trace that pathway back to a gap in the truss or a penetration that's a little ways away from that. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of kind of testing and diagnostics. And uh, when I worked for a company that did a lot of insulation work like that, we had installers that knew what they were doing, had years of experience, were really good at it, but I would always find places where they'd have to go back and respray. So how do you feel about tongue and groove being nailed on a ceiling every in nail holes all over the place? Hate it. Wait, what was that (laughs) test? (laughs) Ruben just, yes. I couldn't help myself. Anytime you've got you know, a product that could potentially create holes in the ceiling and you've got a a house located in a cold climate where, you know, any little penetration can lead to moisture problems in an attic. It's not a good idea. I I don't, it's, it's, it's risky. It's risky in my mind. Yeah. I can say I have personally done single item inspections for people who have moisture problems. I mean, crazy condensation issues where during really cold months of the year, they've got water dripping out of their ceiling all over the place. And it's on these tongue and groove installations. And the issue is that there's no way to perfectly seal it. And they got copious amounts of moisture getting up in inside that space. It freezes and then it warms up and then it leaks back out. And they think the roof is leaking, but it's just a problem you end up having with that tongue and groove. I've seen it so many times that it just makes me worried as all get out about having leaks. Me too. And actually to that point, Ruben, like I've seen so many as well. I don't think there's a single tongue and groove ceiling I've seen that doesn't have water stains on it and not from roof leaks. It's from condensation in the attic melting and dripping back down. And, and actually when I worked for this inflation company years ago, I remember one of the houses that, that we worked on, we got called out to people that had lived there for a while had replaced their roof, I think two times already. 
Mm. because of this issue. And the people they would call out would say, yeah, it's got to be a roof leak. They tried replacing it twice, didn't fix the problem, and they just didn't know what to do. And they called us out and did a lot of testing and figured out, you know, it's because you've got this tongue and groove ceiling, all of this moisture in your house is leaking up into the attic, condensing on the other side of the roof deck, frosting up and then melting when it warms up and dripping back down. It's to the point where whenever I'm inspecting a house that has that tongue and groove ceiling, usually it's a, it's a comment I'll put in the report about, you know, even if it's summertime or we're not seeing anything, just kind of a, almost like a informational statement is that, you know, these ceilings, you can have issues with moisture in the attic with this. Try to reduce your humidity levels in the house. Make sure you're using, you know, exhaust fans in the house, like bath fans when you're showering, exhaust fans in the kitchen when you're cooking to try and reduce that humidity level. And if you, if you have problems down the road, this is not going to be a cheap or an easy fix. Because a lot of times these houses with the tongue and groove ceilings have very small attic spaces or no attic, accessible attic space at yes. all. So yep. in order to air seal those leaks, it means taking the tongue and groove ceiling down and working on it from that way or taking the roof off and sealing the attic. So it's not like you can physically crawl into that attic space and seal these, these bypasses. Well, I'm not feeling great about my choices. <laughs> so here's where I'm leaning heavily right now. The, the material we want on the ceiling is actually beaded plywood. It's like a southern yellow beaded plywood that's got that groove that goes down at every inch and a half. My wife loves that appearance. And that's only a 3A stick material. So it's not like carrying the weight of insulation is probably not something that that material can do on its own. But in having conversations with the contractor, he's like, we could put this one layer up two feet on center. And yes, it's not going to carry the load. But if we spray foam, that spray foam is actually going to prevent that from sinking or sagging under the weight of the insulation. And it's going to give us this seal, although it might not be 100% perfect. It's certainly going to be much better than the tongue and groove scenario you guys just talked about. And so I'm starting to lean heavily that way because I can use one less layer of material and it's kind of a one and done sort of thing. And we only have literally one, two, three, four, five penetrations in this entire ceiling lid. And those are all light boxes. So we should be able to seal around that pretty well. And there's no funky framing or anything that would get get you crazy. It's a flat lid per Tess's instructions. We got rid of the vault that we were going to do and we it's completely flat. And I think we've got a fighting chance to get this thing sealed up pretty tight. Obviously polyethylene is, is a more cost-effective vapor barrier as compared to closed cell spray foam. But I get that. I eliminate a layer of material that labor to put that material up and I get the benefit of that good structural support that the closed cell is adding. And we'll just back up a second. You don't need poly. I'll just clarify this. If you've got closed cell spray foam, because closed cell spray foam applied at, what is it like an inch and a half, two inches consistently is your, both your air barrier and your vapor barrier. And so you don't need poly because then you've got a double vapor barrier. Plus the spray foam can't adhere like it should to the back of the substrate if you've got poly. So you're eliminating the poly if you use the spray foam and you're adding some structural rigidity, right? 
And yep. you can blow insulation in on top of that and achieve the required R value you, you want, which is cheaper than just doing the whole lid and spray foam. But would you still use sheetrock then, Bill? Or would you just would you just put up the tongue and groove and spray right to the back of that? Yeah, so that's four by eight sheets of plywood that would be stapled right to the bottom of the trusses. Closed cell spray foam applied to the back of the plywood. No vapor barrier. Like you said, no double vapor barrier. And that's it. And we would call it a day. Then they would come in and spray the, the remainder, you know, in fiberglass on top of that. And I'm feeling like that's a pretty good application in a fairly extreme climate. And so the, the question, my next question for you, Tess, is though, how do you, how do you put the wall poly? Does that, does that wall poly actually go up to the lid and, and cover a little bit before you put up the plant? So do I have yeah. to f- insulate the walls before I do the lid? Well, what kind of insulation are you planning on putting in the walls? Just your standard fiberglass, whatever the code requirement is now for two by six wall. Is it R20 or R21 though? I don't remember. I don't know. It's white insulation. It's not pink or yellow like it used to be. Okay. So you're going to do fiberglass and poly in the exterior walls with plywood stapled to the bottom of the trusses for the ceiling. Right. Yeah. That's a, that is a detail you'll have to pay attention to. And I think you can get creative with how you do it. It just need to have some sort of consistent air barrier and ideally consistent vapor barrier where that poly ties into the closed cell spray foam so that you don't have a little gap there at that exterior wall top plate. If I'm hearing what you're saying, just go up and maybe six inches onto the trusses, then put up your plywood, then they spray foam it. And then you've got an actual, the spray foam is adhering to the back of the poly for just a little bit around the perimeter of the house. Does that sound like a a good idea? The experts are going to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm just trying to understand how they should do it. I think, yeah, I think you've, I think you've kind of articulated it while just some sort of, however you do it, as long as the spray foam ties into that poly vapor barrier. So you don't have a gap. And does spray foam adhere to poly? It does. Well, it does. Uh, it, it, it can, it can stick to it. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's tough because you've got to have that tight 90 degree, like finished look on the ceiling where the, the wood will intersect the poly. So you have to leave some extra poly at the top. So it can tie into the spray foam, I guess. I don't know. We're getting into the weeds. I we're probably losing all of anyone that did care to listen to this podcast is now probably gone. Yes, but, but my <laughs> problems are being solved. So I'm, I'm you know, being very selfish but right now. I have seen where spray foam kind of shrinks and expands a little bit. And you know, it is exothermic. So when it when it's first applied, it'll it it expands, but then it cools down and it shrinks a little bit. So a word of warning. I, I have seen where it's applied the back of a ceiling in between trusses and all of a sudden it'll actually kind of suck that sheetrock up and shrink and you'll get these cups in the ceiling from it. Ruben, have you ever seen that before in a house? Yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah. So just, I was just thinking, you know, if you're installing it right up against that, the, you know, the wood ceiling and and there's extreme temperatures and how however thick you're applying it, that's one thing that you might have to look out for. Great. Thanks. All the anxiety was gone. And now I've got a little (laughs) uncertainty back in the equation. You talk to a building scientist to get to increase your anxiety, not to put you at ease, I guess. (laughs) Well, I was going to bring up the next thing. (laughs) 
my walls are actually going to have shiplap on them, six inch wide shiplap. So I'm going to have a bunch of nail holes going through that poly as well. Oh no. Oh, the more holes you put through poly, like, you know, the, the riskier that wall assembly is with having moisture get in there. Yeah. How often do we see unfinished basements where you've got mold growing behind the poly and then right behind the poly, you got fiberglass insulation and it's a result of a million little staple holes in that stuff. I mean, none of those are ever airtight. And once you finish it all off and you have the drywall covering over all of it, that drywall acts like a huge air barrier. I mean, that's not the intention of it, but in reality, it, it acts like it. And we're not nearly as concerned once you get those walls all covered with with drywall. Yeah. With what you're describing with the tongue and groove or the, the beadboards or whatever you said, sorry, shiplap. Yeah. That is not a continuous seal. So no. hope we're helping your anxiety bill. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> well, okay. We don't intend to spend a ton of time in the winter up there. Right. So this is, this is going to be used sporadically in the winter and it will have an air exchanger. And so environmentally am i gonna like not be, helpful yeah it's gonna help right yeah, i mean definitely yeah less of a load moisture load on that house is a good thing yeah so so no no showers when we go in the winter is what you're saying <laughs> no boiling and, and i didn't no hear breathing. that i didn't hear that you don't need to go nuts bill and there's going to be a wood stove so that'll dry the hell out of this place too so. yeah. yeah yeah it will, it will. Definitely. But you know, you'll need, it's a good thing you've got an air exchanger. Cause if you're talking about doing like a really airtight house with this, you know, spray foam lid, any moisture you generate in there is going to need some sort of mechanical ventilation to, to get it out. Okay. Well, unless it just uses the, all the holes that you create in the walls to escape. I don't know. Great. (laughs) That's awesome. It feels like it's very hard to make a tight house in Minnesota. If you want it to look any, any, in a way cool. Right. Sheetrock does a good job though. I mean, so I think boring, it, Tessa. like Ruben so said, boring. I mean, it, it creates an air barrier. You've got all the seams that are taped. So it's consistent. It only gets tricky when you start, you know, putting some sort of system on top of poly that is not airtight. And then you punch holes in poly. It's okay. a pretty delicate system. When you think about it, we've got this layer of plastic that has to be hundred percent, perfect sealed to perfection, caulked, adhered to the framing, no holes in it. And if we do that right, we don't have to worry about it. But how often does that happen? What if? Yeah. What if you put a dab of cock behind every hole you're going to nail? Like, I, here comes my shiplap. A dab, a dab, a dab, a dab, a bang, 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 bang. Now what? Am I helping myself? That, that sounds impossible. If you're going to do something crazy like that, I'd say put some three eighths inch drywall yeah. on all of your walls. And don't worry about the little details on mudding and taping. Just, you know, make it look however you want it to look because it's all going to be covered. You're not going to have to spend any time sanding it. It seems like that would be a much better option. Now that it's certainly overkill, you might be the first person to ever do that. But, you know, I I feel like Tessa and I are like attorneys. You know, you go to a a business (laughs) attorney and you're like, hey, I got this in mind. I want to do this. And their answer is always no. 
Like they, they are the biggest wet rags. I mean, they, they say no to everything. And if everybody just listened to attorneys, we would never get anything done. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer true. in that. It's, it's like you, you, you appreciate the attorneys. They're, they're right about a yeah. lot of stuff, but you got to take some risks. And if you leave it up to Tessa, you're never going to get this thing done, Bill. True. <laughs> It's it's true. Yeah, you're right on, Ruben. We're just telling you all your potential liabilities. But, re, you know, the reality is you got to build a house and, you, you know, you want it to look a certain way. And so you make these decisions and it's probably going to be fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's it. You know, I like your idea, Ruben, about the sheetrock. You can just put up that three sheetrock behind the the shiplap just to create some sort of kind of consistent air barrier. Yep. It doesn't have to look perfect or be, you know, mudded perfectly, but it'll definitely help reduce all those little pathways of potential air leakage. What if, what if we just use closed cell spray foam in the stud cavity? Would you wouldn't fill them full? Would you, you because you don't need that much, right? I mean, that would be way overkill. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's expensive, number one. And number two, if you're spraying it, you know, into the wall cavity, it's, it's going to adhere to the, to the back of the wall sheathing, the exterior wall sheathing, and you would need to fill up that cavity all the way. And then whatever you put on the top of that wall cavity, if you're just going to do like, you don't want to have a double vapor barrier. So you don't want to do close cell and then poly over top of it. I don't know, you know, if you're required up North to do something like a smart vapor barrier, but the trouble is then you've got this like tongue and groove or shiplap that's applied over the, you know, over the top of the studs there. And if you have a little gap between that and the, and the spray foam, then you can have a space for a condensation and moisture to form as well. You, you ideally you want your air barrier and your vapor barrier to be in contact in alignment, consistent and continuous. So what I'm hearing you say is don't insulate it. Don't go up there in the winter time and just <laughs> keep it simple. What? Well, you know, that's why old houses, Ruben and I, you know, we talk about this and Ruben, you've got that class you created on old houses, but that we teach for real estate agents, continue education. But we talk about just the difference between old houses and new houses and how old houses, you didn't have to worry about wall sheathing rotted out and, and mold growing everywhere because those houses didn't have insulation and they were so leaky that all of the heat just moving through the wall cavities and through the attic would dry out any moisture. And so those houses were very, very durable. But, you know, the trade-off is you've got this house that's really leaky and not very comfortable and really expensive to heat and cool. So that, that's the trade-off. You can have a cabin that's well insulated, you know, comfortable, not expensive to heat or cool if you're going to cool it. But then the more, more insulation you put in, the more airtight you make it, you know, the more risk you have with durability issues and the more impact just a tiny little air leak can have on that, on, on those materials. I'm going to tell them to stop building. Just, just stop. We're, just we're can't not moving the whole project. Forget it. We're going to get a tent. <laughs> Yeah, were going back about, to the camper. Were you thinking about doing some of this work yourself, Bill? If it was going to be fiberglass insulation? No, not really. Just because fiberglass doesn't agree too much with me. But mm. I, I mean, this is I'm I'm not sure that this is the the best way to look at it. But I I like people who do this on a regular basis because I think they'll do it better than me who thinks they know what they're doing and can probably only mess it up. So. 
I like to trust the professionals when it comes to these kinds of things. That's good. Fiberglass is nasty stuff. I, uh, I was saying before the show, I did a lot of remodeling and when growing up, you know, I was the demo guy for my dad. My dad was a general contractor. And if there was stuff where he could bring me on the job when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever, I'd come along and I'd do it. And I, I know I did a fair amount of demolition, pulling out fiberglass insulation. And he'd always be like, Ruben, put your mask on. And then as soon as he'd leave the room, I'd take my mask off because I hated wearing it. But I breathed in a lot of fiberglass insulation, dust, whatever you want to call it, whatever that stuff that gets in the air. Mm. And at this point, I am super allergic to it. Like if I go inside an attic, I have to put my mask on. Even if I'm just popping my head up there, Uh I got to have my mask on. Otherwise, when I come down, I'm going to be sneezing for the next four hours, eyes watering, nose running. I mean, it's bad. So, I mean, I... I don't know what the current science says about the hazard level of fiberglass insulation, but I don't care. It's hazardous. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it bothers my lungs too. And, and I don't sneeze, but I will be coughing like the rest of the inspection. I'll get like this tickle in my throat. It irritates my lungs. And if it gets on my skin, I like get a rash from it too. So yeah. I like to wear gloves and if I'm going to be digging, I'll put on long sleeves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Smart. I remember one time when I was a kid, I put a handful of fiberglass insulation into my pocket. And then, you know, I like walked around all day. And it's like at the end of the day, I'm like, why does my leg itch so much? And it was like, <laughs> it was, it was the strange. I've never forgotten how irritating that little ball of fiberglass in my pocket. I was like, here's little Billy at age five. And he's like, what's this? Oh, boom, you're here. And then what's wrong with your leg? I have this in my pocket. Oh, you moron. Get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember why you were carrying out insulation in your pocket? Well, I'm sure there was some unfinished project at my house. My dad wasn't known to finish things. He was, he was about a 95 percenter do the basement and leave the last three pieces of trim (laughs) for somebody else to put up 10 years later. So who knows? It was probably one of those unfinished projects and I found some insulation well, yeah. and that's what boys do. They put things in their pockets. I know when I was little, my mom always tells the story about one time she was doing my laundry and she pulled a frog out of my pocket. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, yeah. you know what? At our company picnic the other day, I saw Lucy had collected a whole jar of frogs. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's her jam. She loves frogs. At least she's not putting them in her pockets. Exactly. Yeah. She's, she's a little <laughs> more careful with them. I'm sure that frog my mom pulled out of my pocket was not breathing afterwards. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you check pockets before you throw your kids' clothes into the washer? I don't do my kids' laundry. Usually, my No, that's not true. I do it, but I've never checked their pockets. No, I check my own. And I, I do that because I have washed few clients' checks. <laughs> I put a few through the wash and that's super embarrassing. It's like, how unprofessional is this person? And then I yes. got to take a picture of their balled up check or what's left of it. Like, <laughs> Hey, I am so sorry, but uh, here's the money you paid me. Oh my goodness. That's embarrassing. And it's, it's terrible that I'm admitting it's happened more than once. <laughs> it has happened more than once. 
You know, I think you told me that story, Ruben, when I was in training and I, yes, I made sure I checked my pockets and I did find checks in my pocket that I forgot about, caught them before they went through the wash, but it can easily happen for yes. sure. Yes. So easy. Okay. Well, decision time is happening. I'm, I'm going to have to tell this contractor what we're doing. And I bought 30 sheets of this, this beadboard plywood already because I need to stain it and varnish it because obviously we don't want to do that when it's already installed. So probably just going to eat it and uh, worry about the, the degradation later, years from now. When... You know what, Bill? It's going to be fine. You'll be fine. It's no big deal. I can see in your eyes, Bill, there's like this look of, of just like dread, Tara. I am so sorry. We're, you're not going to be able to sleep tonight, are you? Probably not, but <laughs> no. there's other things on my mind. Too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, but no, Tessa, see, I, I love having these conversations where you completely put me at ease. You have all the answers. <laughs> it's always completely straightforward. And there's no gray in your life. And that. so... It's a simple, clear pathway forward, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Ruben, I could make your life a little easier. (laughs) (laughs) Ruben, when you were demoing for your your dad back in the day, did you ever take tongue and groove off the wall and find just terrible rot back there? No. What what we did most of was lath and plaster. Oh, so there was no insulation in any of these homes? Oh, there there was insulation. I mean, I, I did my share of putting up the insulation, taking down newer stuff. But typically with that lath and plaster, it was, I think it was rock wool we'd mostly deal mm-hmm. with behind the walls. Hmm. Tessa, is that popular now? Rock wool? Again. I, you know, I don't think it is very popular, but I, I know in the building science world, a, a lot of building scientists like it because it's, it's durable. It, uh, you don't have to worry about like microbial growth in it. I think it's a great product. You just don't see a lot of it. Gotcha. So let's circle back to where we started, the guardrails at Ruben's deck. We need, <laughs> we need a bunch of guardrail at our place too, right? It's by the lake. So we, we put up a deck. It's not a big deck, but it still needs a guard and it goes all the way around the house. They, I was quoted 35 to $150 per lineal foot for guardrails. Okay. And the glass and the cable systems were some of the most expensive. Wow, $100 per lineal foot. How many, how many lineal feet do you have? Close to 200, maybe 150. <gasps> wow. Ouch. It's just a walkway deck that goes around our house, but it's like 26 yeah. feet down this side and yeah. 26 feet across there. And then we've got stairs to a, a landing platform and then we have more stairs. So it's going to be really super cool when, when you're sitting on the deck. I just didn't, we didn't want all that wood. We wanted something that was a little more low profile so you could see through it, see the water. Yep. And yep. it was like, oh, hello. That's crazy. Um, so, but what are you going to do? It's 2021 and apparently that's just the way it is. You know, I've got a question for you, you know, up in where your cabin is at, are there a lot of, uh, are there inspectors that come out and check your cabin at every phase? Oh, no, no. The contractors all build a code. The plumbers install the code. The electrician is, as I understand, it's really the only one who's going to be inspected by the state electrical okay. uh, inspector. But everybody just in all of their bids is we do it to code. Just wondering who's checking on those things. Do they get checked on? Uh, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of projects going on up there and there's limited staff. And I'm, yeah. I'm just not even sure there's enough 
at the county or the city or who's ever the, the jurisdiction have an authority to get out there and, and do all these inspecting. So I think the contractors go to school and go to continuing ed and the plumbers do the same and the electricians do the same and they, they know what they have to do and they do what they're supposed to do. So we'd have yeah. to get Andy on the show again and he could explain it to us, but I'll, I'll muddle through it. My understanding is once you get outside of kind of the metro area, people just decide whether they're going to have code compliance inspections or not. And if they don't have inspections, you're still required to do everything to code, but mm-hmm. there's nobody checking on it. Right. That's it. Nobody they just can't afford it. to do it. But I'm, I'm loving the fact that this project is, it's more than 50% done and we're marching towards a, a finish line. So can't wait to get everybody up there sometime and chase after some walleyes. Can't wait. Yes. We'll get, uh, we'll get the snowmobile out. Ruben, you can bring your snowmobiles and uh, there's only 18,000 miles of trail up there if you want to go for a ride. So oh my gosh. I'm ready. Winter can't Just come fast enough. Do some Let's ice do fishing. <laughs> Everybody around the country who listens that, that doesn't understand where we live is like, you people are crazy. So, <laughs> it's August and we're asking for winter. <laughs> I know. There is fun stuff to do. Well, should we wrap this one? Sounds good. All right, Tessa, thank you again for just planting an enormous amount of uncertainty in my mind. I'm (laughs) glad we had this conversation. And for everybody else, you've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray, the always full of exact answers, building scientists on our team, and Ruben Saltzman, otherwise known as the professor. Thank you for listening. (laughs) We'll catch you next time. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.